You're listening to the Wanderlust Swingers Podcast with Aussie hosts Kate and Daryl. If you're curious about exploring your sexuality or the swinging, hot wifing and non-monogamous lifestyle, you've definitely come to the right podcast. Or maybe you just love travel adventures. Either way, we share our personal, sometimes juicy, sexy stories as well as swingers club and event reviews, interviews with other sassy people and of course our global swinging adventures. We try to bring you a look into the diverse lifestyle that the swinging and non-monogamous community has. We hope you enjoy. Now let's get into the episode. Hey everyone and welcome to the Wanderlust Swingers podcast. My name is Kate and I'm here with two lovely ladies. Today's episode is Swingers Health Volume 5 and this one's all about vaginal health and BV. Now I know, I know, I know, slightly taboo, not really talked about topic, but we are going to get into it because it is extremely, extremely important. So Please hang around for our new health series. This is volume five, like I said, vaginal health and BV. Now I have two ladies on the phone. I have Wendy and Becky. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having us. Yes. I'm going to probably muck this up, but I'm going to do my best, Wendy. So Wendy is a vulvovaginal. Good. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Yes. Wendy's a vulvovaginal disease specialist located in Phoenix, Arizona. Wendy has been a nurse since 1999 and has experience in many different fields of medicine, including emergency, orthopedics, NICU and women's health. Wendy graduated with her Master of Science in Nursing as a women's health nurse practitioner in 2010. We are also joined by Becky. So Becky Lucas, a family nurse practitioner in Arizona, specializing in women's care and sexual wellness. Becky has been a nurse practitioner since 2016 and has worked specifically within the ethically non-monogamous communities. Ladies, not only do we have people who are vulvovaginal specialists here on the phone with us today, (laughs) but we also have Becky from the non-monogamous community. So really excited to talk about this. I'm going to hand it over to perhaps Wendy. First of all, Uh you have taken a specialist in vaginal health. I'm curious what made you do that. Why why all of a sudden did you wake up one day and say, you know what, vulvas, I'm all about them. That's what I'm going to specialize in. Good question that I get all the time. In my master's program, we all had to rotate with a physician in the valley that also that runs the practice that I work at currently. And my first day doing clinicals there, within a couple hours, I just was blown away by how many patients don't find the help that they need sooner than later. And and I didn't understand why more gynecologists don't know about vulvovaginal diseases. And there was a need and I felt the need and I saw the need. And I uh, almost immediately became passionate about knowing that I needed to help women, empower them to know their body, how to take care of their health, remove taboo subjects, remove the shame around all of this. And so, and that's how it all started. Quick question before we move on to Becky. I just decided that this, I was going to ask you this. How do you feel about the term pussy? Is that like when you, because you're obviously medical specialist, so you, you know, you're using like the actual terms like vulva, vaginal, labia minora, mm-hmm. majora. When somebody says to you pussy, does that annoy you or, you know, are you just like, yeah, roll with it? It doesn't annoy me, but but what I am big on is using correctly anatomical terms because that's part of what takes the stigma out of it. You know, so many people are okay saying penis in the world, but you say vagina and all of a sudden you're dirty. So it's not that I mind pussy. Do I use it in my professional practice? No, but it doesn't bother me. But I'm also very big on, no, let's talk about really what is the vagina versus the vulva. They're not the same thing. So, so no, it doesn't bother me, but yes, I'm big on correct anatomical terms. 
Love it. And over to you, Becky, uh, just a little bit about yourself. Can we talk about ethical non-monogamy? A little bit about yourself. Have you been in or are you considering being in a non-monogamous relationship? Thank you for asking. I've done women's health since 2000. And as I became a nurse practitioner in 2016, I really wanted to focus specifically on women's health. In 2018, my husband and I became interested and involved in the ethical non-monogamy community. And within that, became friends with quite a few women. And as soon as they found out that I do gynecology for a living, in came the flood of questions and still a flood of questions that I'm always, always happy to answer. But I have found there's just this secret need for finding out, okay, if I'm with a group of partners, what does that mean to my vulva, vagina? You know, what does that mean to my vaginal health in general? So that's kind of what's prompted me to try to specialize a bit more in seeing the needs of this community. And it is really great to be talking about this topic. I know I said in the intro there that it is slightly taboo and it does kind of give some people the ick. And I think there's definitely some shame involved and we're, we're going to be digging into that throughout the episode today. I think it's really important to talk about it and, and have specialists like yourself. So uh, I guess you're, you're doing God's work. Thank you very much for helping us all out because the more play partners that we have and the more exposure we have to different things, especially within the non-monogamous lifestyle, mm-hmm. the more your vaginal health really matters. And I, I think that, yeah, like I said, it just doesn't get enough airtime. So today we're going to break the interview down into two sections. We're going to talk about vaginal health and then we're going to move into BV. And the reason we're going to spend a bit of time on that is just, again, doesn't get enough airtime. Let's roll straight into vaginal health. Keeping your vaginal health at optimum levels is one of the most difficult things about the swingers lifestyle, preach. Vulva owners need to deal with potential risks that extend outside of STIs and into general wellness and health. Things that include things like yeast infections, UTI, BV, thrush. You might not think these are sexy topics to talk about, and that is honestly part of the problem. We're too shamed to discuss this taboo topic. It leads to us thinking we're the only ones suffering, and honestly, you are not vaginal health pre post play we're going to break it down and you guys can choose and pick which questions you want to answer i'm interested to see who takes the hot seat question (laughs) what exactly is a ph and uh why the heck does it matter whenever anyone talks about vaginal health immediately ph is brought up and i don't know you just don't really get a lot of information so what is it why does it matter the ph it's a big deal ph stands for potential hydrogen so boring but it basically breaks down how much uh, acidity or basic or alkalinity is in the vagina. And that determines how well that area or part of the body, the vagina specifically, is able to fight off bacteria and maintain a healthy microbiome, a healthy collection of good bacteria. There's good and bad bacteria. Good bacteria helps maintain a good pH, which helps ward off and fight off other bacteria. We're not sterile creatures at all. So we're going to have bacteria come and go, good and bad. And overall, we want to, that's what the pH does. It helps maintain a healthy microbiome, a healthy combination of good and bad. It is interesting because when people, I guess, talk about bacteria, the word itself seems quite negative, doesn't it? When you think about bacteria, you picture this little, I don't know, cartoon, germ drawing, it's like, <laughs> you know what I mean? But I guess the reality is there's, there's good and bad. And I, I guess maybe sometimes in between and different. Talking about pH, what sorts of things can affect our pH? Is this diet alone? Is it high stress levels? Or is it external things that I'm putting on near or in me? Uh, Yes, to all of those. (laughs) Yes, you you just answered that. Definitely diet, um, how stressed you are, how hydrated you are, how much sleep you've gotten. I mean, a healthy overall healthy lifestyle just creates a healthy body inside and out, our gut, our vagina, 
very important and people don't want to really pay attention to that. It's not so easy to, to be like, ah, I didn't sleep, but you know, those sorts of things, smoking huge to affect pH smoking very much negatively affects pH. Yeah, obesity negatively affects pH age. Uh, when we age and we start to lose our hormones or our natural hormone balance in the vagina, that can significantly affect the pH multiple partners can um, affect the pH, lubes, medicines, definitely medicines can, um, whether it's birth control pills or antibiotics, of course, those sorts of things. And some things that we are um, exposed to during play, of course, right? Mm -hmm. So different biomes, which I know we're going to talk about a little bit later, different condoms that your body's maybe not used to, a different partner's using something different, or uh, like you said, a lube, flavored lubes. (laughs) Having your period can definitely change, you know, your pH and of course, semen can as well. So a few other things that we do have a little bit more control over. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about lube. How does lube affect us? And mm-hmm. what are some of the bad things that we should be on the lookout for? So lube is essential, one, um, to help prevent infection. If we are too dry, not moist enough, not lubricated enough, then what can happen is we can get tiny micro tears all the way to big giant tears. And then that just leads to uh, opportunistic infections, meaning that allows the not so good bacteria to overpopulate and get into these little tiny micro tears, um, which is why lubrication is so important. And the use of lube shouldn't be, again, that's a shame topic that I'm trying to undo. The use of lube is not a bad thing. It doesn't mean that you are not turned on. It doesn't mean you're not attracted. It doesn't mean you're not happy or excited. And many times, especially with patients that are experiencing chronic BB and they say, oh, I don't need lube. I I recommend just trying a little bit just to start a little bit. It really is a friend in the bedroom, a friend with any sort of play to help prevent infections, opportunistic infections, meaning infections coming in. So, um, but lubes, they can have different pH levels and different what we call osmolality levels. And that's just a big fancy word of the ability of that substance to pull moisture out. So if it's really high and we're pulling moisture out of the vagina, it's very counterproductive to what we want to do. And, you know, you don't read about these things. You don't know about these things. So it's important to find a lube, whether it be water-based or silicone-based or oil-based, that has a pH that most closely matches the pH of the vagina, which we want to be around 4.5. Um, and a lower osmolality, meaning that doesn't draw the moisture out of the vagina, out of the vulvar tissues and whatnot. Um, so that's key when trying to find a good loop is to make sure it most closely matches what we want the vagina to be. So realistically, we're just walking around as vulva owners and at any moment, anything out there in the environment could potentially affect our pH. Like that's what I'm seeing. We're just walking around, just constantly swatting things away, like get out of here, poor <laughs> diet and get out of here, flavored lube and things like that. <laughs> Well, and that's why it's important to maintain a good amount of good bacteria because that's their whole job is to ward off all the other bacteria we don't want to overgrow, you know, and I hate the word bad bacteria, right? Because the bacteria that we find in BB, which we'll get into later, so many of us, 30 to 40% of are always colonized with, and it's not causing a problem. So just because we have it or can culture it or find it doesn't mean it's causing a problem because if we have enough good bacteria that keeps the pH at a happy level and it keeps kind of the obnoxious bacteria at bay, if you will. So I'm loving what's happening here, but this entire conversation that you and I are having right now, I keep picturing cartoons. Like just then I was thinking, okay, <laughs> my, my labia is going to be swatting things away. And then you're talking uh-huh. about bacteria and then yes. over, the good bacteria overrunning. So when you guys get off the ground, can we please work on some sort of lifestyle comic of, you know, a lady in the swingers <laughs> lifestyle just looking after her health? Like a vulva owner in a cape. Exactly correct. We need, we need to make that happen. <laughs> 
Probiotics. I have, I have a question. I started recently taking daily probiotics in a, in a pill form, and then I also have Yakult. I don't know if you guys uh, have Yakult. You do. You know what that is. Perfect. Let's be real. Let's be honest. Is it actually doing anything? Like the, yeah. people tell me to take it. Is it doing anything? What's the go? The go is right now that's one of the best things we have to maintain a healthy pH. But to be honest, it's shoddy at best. And and we in the vulvovaginal vaginal disease expert world, I'm a member of the ISSVD, which is the International Science and Study of Bubble Vaginal Diseases. Big topic right now in this world, all of, of uh, medical providers all around the world of what is the pH and why can some women make so much good bacteria, lactobacilli specifically, and others can't, no matter how many holes we're putting probiotics in, whether it's oral or in the vagina or, or whatnot. And, and there's no, there's no good rhyme or reason. So there's a lot of study being done right now. That being said, I recommend it because it, it is, it's some of the best things we have right now, even though it's not fantastic, it's some of the best things. And one probiotic might work fantastic for one patient and not do anything for another patient. So I always say the best probiotic is the one that works for you. And it's not an overnight thing. I have patients come in, they have BB and they're like, I'm like to start a probiotic and they come back a month later and they're like, I finished it, but it's not. And I'm like, oh no, no, this is a daily, I just say for the foreseeable future, add it to your daily vitamin regimen, healthy lifestyle regimen until a specialist tells you not to. Can you get too much lactobacilli? Absolutely. But I'd rather get you there. It's a much easier fix than try to try to get BB rectified. So with all of that in mind, and as we're, you know, the studies are still being done, is there a better type of probiotic for, for taking? Like with the my examples of the Yakult or the the capsule, is there a better or version of that that we should recommend to people? Or is it, I guess, as you said, kind of up in the air? We don't know yet. We don't ha really have. There are some probiotics that actually have medical studies behind them. So those are the ones I tend to recommend just being, you know, in, in the medical field. So those with studies behind it, we're looking into adding things like lactoferrin, different um, protein byproducts that help the gut naturally start to produce more of your own lactobacilli counts, um, which are helpful. But again, I mean, that group might work for so phenomenally and then others. So I tell them to look for ones that are labeled for vaginal health specifically. There's a lot that are general health or gut health or, or whatnot. So as long as it's, you know, labeled for vaginal health specifically, I don't know that there's a big deal between numbers of strains. There are some specific strains that uh, we know to be more effective for vaginal health. So, so yeah, it's just to make sure we're on one that's specific for women's health helping the vagina. And on that note, I will say there are some that say let's insert inside your vagina versus taking orally. In my almost 13 years of doing this and also the studies that we have show no difference in benefit of putting it in the vagina versus taking it orally. You would right. think if we're getting it right in the vagina, it would be more helpful. But so I tend to not recommend that just because the fewer the things in the vagina, the better the vagina is able to naturally do what it wants to do, which is, you know, balance, keep itself balanced. So especially if you're in the lifestyle too, if you're actually engaging with other partners, I can imagine in the back of your head, there would be constant fear about, mm -hmm. is there leftover remnants of that? Is something going to come out? Is there going to be some different discharge? So for me, if we can take it orally, so much the better. You know, the less stress I have about my downstairs bits while I'm playing with people, the better, because then I'm able to actually enjoy myself and actually get pleasure rather than thinking about all these horrible things. Definitely. There's three specific bacteria that we look for in probiotics. So like the lactobacilli strains. Mm -hmm. So, and I can put them in the, in the chat, but uh, rhamnosis is one, rutery and uh, acidophilus are the top three that tend to be the most beneficial for vaginal health. 
Okay, yeah. No, if you can let me know what how to spell those because <laughs> so I can put it in the actual show notes today and people can look out for them, that would be absolutely fantastic. Let's take a track down. So we've spoken about vaginal health just as it pertains to everyday life. I want to hone in a little bit more about the lifestyle because we, as we said in the intro, there are different elements. You know, if you are monogamous with one partner, you're still going to be experiencing some of these issues, but I don't think to the degree that we would see it in the lifestyle. I have a, I have a question. <laughs> I'm just going to throw it out there. Why the right. hell do I keep getting sick after big swingers events? Seriously, is the hot tub water contaminated that I really even shouldn't put a toe in it, let alone my pussy? Like what is going on? Myself and so many women walk away from these swingers events, dedicate time, money away from our job, potentially kids, dogs, or the whole thing. And then we walk away from an amazing week going, I just paid three grand to get a infection. Like what's up with it? To start off with a basic hot tub. I mean, what do we put in hot tubs to make sure bacteria doesn't grow? So if we are engaging in play, vaginal play, vaginal penetration inside of a body of water that has stuff like chlorine and bleach and chemicals that are meant to kill off bacteria for good reasons. Now that's up inside of our vagina. It's killing off all of the things up inside our vagina. I mean, that's the basic gist of it. It's not so much the partner related when it comes to the hot tub, in my opinion, Mm -hmm. but the chemicals in there to make it safe to be in there, the vagina tends to not love. Yeah. It's marinating in that hot tub all day long. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of the best way to think of it. Uh We all want to do it. I get it. Absolutely. But there is a little bit of aftercare that, Mm -hmm. that is involved in after events or after play. Well, you've actually, you've jumped ahead because that is going to be my gold star advice question. So I'm actually just going to ask it now, but how can I stop myself from getting sick after play? You just mentioned aftercare. What can Mm. we do as vulva owners to maybe ensure that we might not get sick? Because I understand nothing is foolproof. The biggest thing I can recommend for that is making sure you are on a good pre-play regimen. I mean, it's huge for any, any health related thing, making sure your vagina is all the time healthy. Mm -hmm. So when you go into these play areas and these events and these parties and, and, and the play times that you have, you're already coming in with the best defense you have for your vagina. Now, afterwards, many times I recommend two different probiotics that are designed for vaginal health. They have different strains. They have different numbers. They work a little bit differently in their delivery system. Um, I find that to be beneficial. I'm a big proponent in using boric acid, especially if it's got tea tree in it. I know a lot of patients come in and they're like, I've been making my own. I don't love that. That you just use borax and get capsules and they make their own. They're cheap. They're cheap. Yes. But <laughs> boric, I mean, borax, boric acid is technically toxic if ingested. So yes, we don't want to ingest it. Therefore, we also want to be cautious about how much we're putting in the vagina. Can we do damage? Of course we can do damage. Everything can potentially have side effects, right? If you get them over the counter, the difference between capsules and suppositories Capsules are powder inside of a vegetable capsule. Once the capsule dissolves, there's just powder that can be quite irritating and and a little bit more messy. So thankfully, I'm seeing more and more uh, companies come out over the counter with, you know, little bullet shaped, creamy oil based suppositories that are more soothing, that coat better. And then you can find them mixed with stuff like uh, tea tree and vitamin E and other things that are helpful to fight bacteria. And your provider too. We can make specialty compounded formulas through the compounding pharmacy for those that are either extra sensitive or, you know, we need to add in a few more ingredients to help them. So there's a lot of different options that way. Which I actually way prefer to do compounded boric acid. One, it's just more regulated. Uh, Over the counter, there's millions of options highly unregulated, which is fine. You hope you're getting what you're getting. Whereas, you know, going to a compounding pharmacy, we 
have more faith in you. We know what we're getting. It's actually measured. We know how much you're getting in there and, and so on and so forth. So that's really interesting. I hadn't even thought that people would be at home making their own boric acid, uh, I guess, supplements. You'd be surprised what people do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. When, you, when you said it, I don't know whether you saw the reaction on my face, but I was like, what the hell? Like, <laughs> oh, yeah. That's taking a do-it-yourself to like a whole new level. And people will take borax baths. They will put poor borax in bath water and then you get burns. I mean, you essentially, I've seen burns and contact irritation. And so, I mean, but people get desperate. I mean, when you're dealing with this chronic odor and discharge, I mean, you, you get desperate, you really do. And and you can't really blame them, you know, so it's education is key. So for you, for how do I stop myself from getting sick? Gold star advice would be to actually think about pre pre pre-play, looking after yourself on the way into something health, Mm -hmm. you know, wellness, Mm -hmm. all of that sort of stuff. But on the outside, probiotic. Yeah. Double up on some probiotics, two different ones. Again, I love boric acid maybe every day uh, for a week or so until we feel more normal back, you know, and that's a general, you know, just when you start to, until you start to feel normal again. I love it. Now we actually had a late question come in. So you don't actually know uh, anything about what I'm about to ask, but this was actually from the Bedhoppers podcast. It's actually from Mr. H specifically. I thought it was such a great question. So I wanted to include it, but he's asking, how about the men? What should men know or male identifying people? What should they know or how can they support the vulva health when they're playing with other people? Great question. Uh, the first thing I think of when it comes to men's contribution to vulva vaginal health is semen. I mean, semen is very alkalinic. So anytime that's also introduced into the vagina, if we're already on a more basic or alkalinic pH scale, that's only going to make it worse. It's going to make it harder for our vagina to fight off any of the other bacteria that may come with or without semen inside. So first off, I mean, that's huge. Uh, Cleanliness, washing well before. Again, I hate to say a dirty clean because it's not a dirty thing. People are like, I feel so dirty. It's not uh, how well you're taking care of yourself. Sure, if you don't shower for weeks and months, then I mean, that's other issues we need to address, right? Besides vaginal health. But with people identifying as men, that's uh, the biggest thing is just knowing if you are going to ejaculate or come inside a a vagina, then it's going to make it more difficult to maintain that healthy pH. And uncircumcised men too, certainly something to think about. And I'm not saying that uncircumcised penis owners are uncleanly. I'm just saying there's an added um, step for them to make sure and retract the penis, make sure everything's clean prior to engaging. And Kate, one thing I did want to mention too, because we're talking about pre-play readiness. And I think just overall vaginal health tips that I like to give my patients, very, very basic stuff, honestly, don't wear underwear to bed. I say, let her breathe, give her a little bit of air, you know, when you're using or if you're having to use panty liners and you get irritated from panty liners, make sure they're cotton only panty liners. It used to only be Safery that made panty liners. And now quite a few different organic companies have put out different types of panty liners. Yoga pants are my least favorite. And I love the fact that people wear their yoga pants all day after working out in the gym. But again, she needs to breathe. So if we've been sweaty, we're creating this warm, moist environment for all kinds of things to grow. Absolutely. And so after you get done at the gym, change your panties. Take out of the yoga pants that you were wearing. Or if you have chronic vulval vaginal issues, then maybe think about what you're wearing through the day. And my number one always is bidet. And I know me and Wendy have talked about this because she doesn't agree 100%, but I will tell you from personal experience and also experience of friends in the lifestyle that I've, I've tried to help through some of their issues, a bidet after intercourse is amazing. It's a good flush. It's a water flush. I know, Wendy, it's okay. It flushes out the semen. 
or whatever products you're using, right? And then of course, in between partners, let's think about washing our hands, not just wash or, you know, not just changing condoms. Are we playing with toys? Are we sharing toys? Fantastic. I love giving other women opportunity, but make it clean, clean your toy off before you hand it over, you know? So it's, it's smaller things to think about. Are we doing anal to vaginal play? No, I don't recommend it. <laughs> I don't recommend it without the cleanliness part of it. And actually something that I do recommend is condoms with anal to keep it, especially if you're continuing to play throughout the night, consider using a condom. It keeps things a lot cleaner. And a lot of times why we see E. coli pipe UTIs. So just wanted to add a few things in for the pre-play and post-play. I think some of those things are important. And if they can't afford a bidet, you can go on Amazon. They have Perry bottles. It's the same little squirt bottle that we used for those that have had children at the hospital. It's okay, Wendy. I can give advice too. (laughs) I'm loving the dynamic. But again, now you can understand that different providers might provide you a little bit different advice. And had I not been in place situations, I probably wouldn't have come into the same problems that we're talking about today and figured out ways around it for myself and for some of the people I know. As you were saying all of those things about uh, wearing underwear and those sorts of things, I'm nodding the entire time because I have actually had UTIs since I was born. And I'm I'm not even joking. There was the little birth book and I think I was maybe a week old the first time I got a UTI. And it's just Mm -hmm. been something that I remember being so much pain as a 10-year-old and 9-year-old and you don't understand so you stop drinking water because it hurts when you pee. So if you don't drink water, you're not going to pee and it's not going to hurt. And growing up then being a teenager and just going through so much pain and then obviously in the lifestyle as well, you know, getting uh, contracting UTIs. And some of the things that I stopped doing was wearing underpants because that was something immediately I was like the synthetic material, it's not letting things breathe. You mentioned yoga pants. As soon as I get home from the gym, I immediately take off my clothes. I actually jump in. I have a quick water shower and then I get into some some fresh, clean clothes as well because 100% I found it. it's just night and day between myself getting sick and not just from those few simple things. You were talking there and, and mentioning a few different things and I, I had a thought about pH balancing wash. What What are your thoughts on pH balancing wash? So this probably will tie into my comments and follow up on Becky's peri bottles and bidets. I'm not against bidets. I think they're fantastic. They're much less irritating than a lot of toilet papers, a lot of you know wet wipes, those sorts of things. Peri bottles, I love spraying down water. It's uh, when we actually want to try to douche or try to get out everything in the vagina. That's where I disagree with all of that. So if we're trying to use the bidet, if we're opening up and trying to get, you know, I mean, that's, that's when I'm nodding now. Other than that, I think it's fantastic. But, but because yes, we have the semen in there. Yes, we have the bacteria in there. But if you go and douche and flush and try to get all of that out, you're going to get all of it out. So then you're taking away all of the vagina's natural defenses to try to balance it out on its own. So so when I say I disagree in our dynamic that you just saw, I'll just clarify that was more going inside the vagina instead of just external vulva or even just on the inside of the labia. Again, why it's so important to talk anatomical terms inside the labia. That's fine. As long as you're not trying to get up inside the vagina and take everything out. pH washes. I don't love them. I don't love to recommend them. There tends to be so many other things added to it. And again, just like using probiotics vaginally versus orally, I think the fewer things we can get in there to cause potentially cause whether even if it's just an irritant reaction or or something like that i think the better i think the more we let our vagina do what it naturally wants to do 
the better off. Now, on the outside, again, the external labia, the vulva, I, I, I think as long as, you know, we're making sure there's no parabens and no, you know, alcohols are limited and, and preservatives and those sorts of things, I think it's fine to use as a wash on the outside. I generally recommend just water, but again, it's because, you know, you, you run to more concerns with contact irritant reaction. So that's my thought on that. And probably steer clear of the ones that say like uh, rose smelling pH balancing wash and such and such. Like I, I get these big red flags as soon as I see a lube or any kind of vaginal product and it's got like really heavy smells. I'm like, what the, what is happening? I don't even understand it. I agree a hundred percent with Wendy and what she's saying about using the pH washes. I, I never recommend those as well. And I actually do say, you know, your vagina is a self-cleaning oven for lack of better ways to think about it. Sometimes the best medicine is time. Give your vagina time to self-heal. And usually within 24, 48 hours, you will see a difference. Now that first 24, 48 can be a little uncomfortable. So we can treat some of those symptoms. But, you know, so often people just jump to, well, I have BV or I have you know, a yeast infection, that's not always the case. And sometimes our body, like I said, just has to um, heal itself a bit. And we don't need to get too involved in medicine at that point. Well, and really, we don't have to treat BV because of the vagina's natural course. Now, that being said, there are a few instances where we have to treat BV, even if you don't have any symptoms. Like I said earlier on, we could culture 500 women and almost 40% of us, we're going to culture out bacteria that can cause BB, but we don't have, we're not symptomatic. So as a provider, when patients come to see me, it kills my soul a little bit when they say, oh, I have chronic BB. And then I, you know, treated this antibiotic, this antibiotic, this antibiotic. And then I follow up the question with, well, what are your symptoms? And they say, I've never had any symptoms. And then I'm like, ah, now we've depleted everything. And now I have to try to replenish that. So, so again, talking to your doctor and, and recognizing that, but also finding a specialist as well, because like I said, we can culture it. We can be picked up on a pap incidentally, picked up on a swab incidentally, but just because we're culturing it doesn't mean you have an active infection that we have to treat with antibiotics. And we're going to talk a lot about BV in the next segment to close out vaginal health segment. I'm going to put you on the hot seat. We talk a lot or you see a lot, even in forums, even in the swingers lifestyle, you know, you hear about it a lot as a teenager growing up. Do we always have a smell down there? You know, I've seen various articles that say like, yes, women don't need to smell like roses. Yes, they're always going to have a scent. And then I've seen other medical articles where they're saying, actually, a healthy, normal may not have any scent at all. So should we always be smelling down there? What's the situation? Good question. I think in the latest articles, actually, that were just put out the beginning of this year, we call it a non-offensive odor. That's a good, uh, that was a really good word that I liked when I, when I read that, because there is going to be some sort of a smell, but a non-offensive one. It's like our natural part of our pheromones, part of, you know, our own body odor, our body odor. Right. So, so I really like the term non-offensive because, you know, we talk a lot about fishy smells or this X, Y, Z. Uh, you can also have very acidic smells and very, you know, all sorts of things. So I think as long as it's not something that we smell and like, Ooh, what's that is how I picture it. But yes, most women, if not all, will always have some sort of odor. I don't like the word odor, but yes, smell. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, that has been great. That has been the vaginal health section. Let's now move over to BB. This is a huge topic. And like I said, in the intro, one that I want to spend a bit of time on just because of its prevalence and maybe because it is 
a lesser spoken about topic. For anyone who doesn't know what I'm saying when I say BV, bacterial vaginosis is a condition that happens when there is too much of a certain bacteria in the vagina. This changes normal balance of bacteria in the vagina. Any woman can get a BV. Having BV can increase your chances of getting an STD. BV is the most common vaginal problem for women and people assigned female at birth, ages 15 to 44. In fact, 30% of people with a vagina will get BV. So right now in the USA, it is estimated that 21.2 million women as of today, as we're sitting here recording this, have BV right now. So massive prevalence. With BV being so prevalent in society and therefore in the lifestyle, because again, we're just a subset of society, why is it not discussed more in your opinion when we're talking about things like STIs and health discussions and disclosure? I think it has a lot to do with, again, like Wendy was saying earlier, the shame around the vulva, the vagina, anything quote unquote abnormal. There's not a lot of women that want to start a conversation by saying, well, my vagina, you know, has that offensive odor again today or nervous about having to go into their doctor again and explain there should be a reason why I have BV. Well, and to back up from that, I mean, just talking about women's health in general in the U.S. and in the world, men's health gets this, women's health is, you know what I mean? So I think that's talking about BB is just a small part of the bigger problem, right? Mm -hmm. So there is so much shame around it and we're not supposed to talk about it. And I feel like bacterial vaginosis so often is just the bucket that they throw any vulvovaginal issues in. There's a slight bit of vulva owner saying, you know, I have an odor, oh, it's BB. Or I have an itch, oh, it's yeast infection. And not a lot is dug in afterwards. There's no swabs, there's no follow-up or any of that. And those are the patients that Wendy sees. <laughs> yes. So have you ever had BV? And before you answer that, I want to share a personal story so you feel comfortable sharing your own personal story. I had BV for the first time sometime in the last 12 months. I can't remember exactly when it was, maybe because I've just, again, I'm, I'm, the shame receptor in my brain has just completely put it out of, <laughs> out of what date it was. I had BV for the first time and my personal experience going through this, so I actually went to the doctor, they did some uh, testing and in the meantime they said, I'm going to give you this because it's not too harsh, but I think it's, I think it is BV. I'm going to give you this medication because it's not too harsh, but in the meantime, we've sent it away, we're going to get tested and then we're going to come back. And I saw the doctor then, I think 24, 48 hours later and they said, yep, BV also, uh, please do away with that medication because here's the one that you actually need. And that's fine. It actually cleared up very quickly. And so really the the idea of, of having it and getting checked and then having a solution for it was actually very easy. What remained with me even to this day is fear and shame. I will routinely now get my husband to actually taste me before we have any kind of interaction in the lifestyle because I'm so fearful that I taste funny or smell funny. It has become so ingrained in me that even the other day, I was having a bit of an off day and I said, oh my God, do I smell funny down there? And I woke up one, I think it was I woke up one morning in bed, been a particularly hot night and I just woke up and I went, holy shit, something's not right. And actually Mm -hmm. it was perfectly fine, but this level of fear is so ingrained in my psyche now that I'm actually struggling in lifestyle situations to relax and enjoy my pleasure. And my husband thinks I'm a bit of a psycho now because I'm like, babe, can you can you get down there and have a bit of a taste test? He's like, it's not Baskin Robbins, babe. You're fine. But it can be. And I'm going to use that. <laughs> babe, I think I'm a little off. Can you, do you mind just tasting me real quick? <laughs> but it is. And I, I don't know, guys. Like, it's, it was there. It's gone. But what has remained is 
something much more beyond BV. So that's my BV sh- uh, story. Feel free to share or not share. Yes, yes, I absolutely have had BV. And, and I think you'd be hard pressed to find a sexually active woman yes. that has never had BV, honestly. And it, and it is, and it does that first time, I think does really kind of stick with you, especially if you're super symptomatic. It is a very offensive odor and, and, and the discharge and, the, and, and burning and or itching. And again, you can have a range of any of or all of these symptoms. And you do feel dirty and you do feel ashamed and you do feel, well, shoot, well, now they're not going to want to have sex with me. And now they are, you know, what can I get it? And, you know, all of these things that go through your mind. And then if you get the right treatment and, and really fix the root of the problem, then it does get taken care of generally, hopefully on the first time or the second time. But, um, but like you said, it sticks with you mentally so much that, I mean, going into any lifestyle event or one partner, two partners, five partners, 10 partners, there's always going to be that little bit of, do I smell fine? Do I taste fine? Are they judging me? Is this going to be okay? And so, and so again, it's part of why I absolutely love what I do is to help remove the shame. And I tell my patients, bring your partners in, bring your husband in, bring your significant other in, bring your wife in, bring whomever in so that they can hear us talk about it and they can hear us take the taboo out of it, make it just, this is part of health. This is part of being a a responsible, sexually active adult, you know? So BV on my side of things, absolutely. Yes, I've um, been a BV owner as well, just teasing. So I myself have had BV and I think um, some of the quote unquote worst cases that I've had have come after lifestyle events and definitely why I became more interested, if you will, in figuring out for myself what works best. But I have found, and maybe some of the listeners can agree with this, is especially with girl-to-girl play, we tend to have less safe sex practices when we are with women. And, and And I'm speaking for myself on this, not saying that's the healthiest and safest way to go about it, not promoting that, just saying that me, myself, um, I found that when I'm playing with other women, you know, there's there's toys, there's vulva to vulva, there's a lot of contact, and in that, we're sharing our own biome. So, you know, and spit. Spit is, yeah, saliva, definitely when you have one or more people going down on you or, you know, oral sex, excuse me, then we can change our pH significantly. So, you know, again, with that pre-health, the probiotics coming in, the cleanliness after some cleanliness, meaning I bidet or, you know, whatever we want to do there, boric acid suppositories, or just allowing your body 24 to 48 hours after an event before we jump on inserting or inserting or taking all this flagell or these different kind of medications that were prescribed for sure. That actually leads me really well into another question that I had for you, which I'm actually bisexual. So mm-hmm. is playing directly with women, if you are a bisexual lady, do you think that there's a higher risk of having um, some sort of vaginal health issues because of the fact that there's pH balances and we're swapping everything and maybe you're using toys together? You know, sometimes you can share uh, vibrators or dildos and put a condom over the top of them, but I mm-hmm. see a lot of women that, and myself included, you know, are using things like double-ended dildos and there is yeah. going to inevitably be some fluid exchange there. It's just mm-hmm. going to happen. So thinking about both from a medical standpoint, but also from the lifestyle, if I'm playing with women, if I'm a bisexual lady, am I at a higher chance of having something go wrong with my vaginal health? Absolutely. Yes, we do know that scientifically as well. It is women that have sex with women are at higher risk for developing bacterial vaginosis. It, 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 is, it is a thing. 
I don't know if it's the oral or it's just two different vaginal microbiomes not connecting or, or scissoring. scissoring. Let's say it. Scissoring. Come on, Kate. I think. Hey, we're all friends here. We're all friends. <laughs> we're all friends. We're all, we're all friends. We've all been there. But yes, that is absolutely a thing. And so it, it is something like Becky said, uh, in my experience as well, we tend to be less safe in our practices when it's female to female. And it's just, you know, to a little note, a little reminder of if this is something you deal with chronically and every time, then just to be a little more cautious and wary on how you protect yourself. And there's actually toy cleaners that are baby wipes that could be kept in your hole on the go bag, you know, those kind of things um, in between partners, you know, going in the bathroom for a quick five minute break and giving yourself a, a bit of a cleanup in between can definitely help as well. Peeing in between partners, so huge. So, and I think part of the play can be doing that together, honestly, like, all right, let's pause, let's go clean. And, you know, and then, and branch out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was going to say you wanted golden showers. No, that's not right. That's that's what I thought you were going with. <laughs> yeah, I too. I just meant if we need to clean. I'm like, we're getting way kinky. I don't know Wendy enough yet, so I was going to yeah. say that, and I'm like, I'm, I'm I'm probably not going to. And then Becky's like coming in with the the truth bomb. I do this a lot. That's actually something that I'm pretty well known for. I will just smoke bomb out of there mid play session. If I'm swapping between partners, if I've uh, even had an orgasm. Um, again, I don't know if this is medically correct, but. I feel like that if I have an orgasm, something in my body's like, excellent, it's, uh, you know, vaginal health issue time. And so I immediately, <laughs> I can't have an orgasm and then maybe continue playing because in my, I honestly, I'll get sick after. Like, I'm not even, that's just my body. I don't know what's going on. Again, medically weird. I'm not sure. But I do disappear and I will go for a pee and I will actually clean myself up. And I'm a, I do like the pH balancing wipes on toys and things of that nature as well. Big fan because I've found in my health, those are some of the things that I honestly have to do. I can say to you with full transparency, if I'm being lazy or if I don't follow my own rules, it's guaranteed problems. The last time we were in like a, a larger play session in orgy and I didn't use my lube and I allowed somebody else to use their lube. And honestly, 48 hours later, I was like, oh, excellent. That's what's happening now. And it was my own fault. <laughs> like I had nobody to blame but myself. So I know we spoke about boric acid earlier, but for B BV specifically, is that the best idea or is there something else that you think you could recommend to people as well? As far as over-the-counter options, that is my favorite to recommend. Um, it's just a good pH balancer. It kills off BV, bacteria, and yeast. That's why I love it as well because if we're giving antibiotics, then we have to run into the yeast or thrush issue, right? Boric acid I use all the time in my practice for resistant yeast infections. So I do love it for those purposes as it's kind of all-encompassing just clearing out what we don't want in there while, you know, helping restore a good pH. But also, you know, you're putting something in the vagina and you mentioned earlier on in the segment of, well, then you're worried about what's going to be coming out. If we're playing, is there remnants? Is there, you know, we also know we don't want to be ingesting it. So at least 24 hours in between suppository uh, insertion and any sort of oral play uh, just to be on the safe side. I can't imagine it tastes very well either, you know, those sorts of things. So now you mentioned it's the best option for over-the-counter. So I guess a follow-up question for that is, if I think I have BV, is it best for mm -hmm. me to just go straight for the over-the-counter or is there a, a, a time frame or a kind of a, a metric where I go, you know what, I need to go in 
to an in-person specialist? Yes. I think if you're a chronic BV carrier that's been cultured, that's been diagnosed and treated and you, and you're like, listen, I know the feeling, I know the symptoms, this is what's happening. Then yes, I think it's totally fine to treat with over the counter, um, especially outside of the U S I know you guys have a lot more access to over the counter medicines versus what we have in America, but I think it's totally fine. Now, if your symptoms are changing or getting worse after two or three days, then absolutely. I highly recommend going to see your provider. So Right. Now I'm going to, I guess, get a little bit into the what people might think is the ick. Again, it's a, to- it's a taboo topic, so we're just digging in deep. The real truth is that you have 100% encountered somebody in a swingers club that's got BV. I think it's almost impossible not mm-hmm. to, right? Um, so how common would it be for one person with BV to cause issues for another vulva owner. So if you're in a, a swingers club playroom and somebody in there has BV, what is the potential transference of that? Does that make it a higher risk, I guess, for lack of a better term? I guess it really just depends on how you encounter that BV. Let's say it that way. And what I mean by that is we talked earlier about being bisexual. So in a female to female encounter, is that with my hand and then I'm just kind of smelling as I'm starting to play with her? Or is it me going you know, for oral sex with her that I'm then smelling it or again, vulva to vulva. So with somebody personally, if I could smell a little bit of a fishy odor, I'm less likely to want to go vulva to vulva with them because there's a shift in their pH, which by all means can shift my pH, I feel like, or in my experience that has happened. Mm -hmm. Wendy, would you agree with that? Yes, because if we have active BV, BV is the absence of good bacteria. I mean, that's what it is. So if we have an active BV infection and and can identify it with a smell or whatnot, that means there's no good bacteria whatsoever. So if we are interacting with that, Mm -hmm. exchanging fluids, uh, mucus from the vagina, then yes, that will definitely throw off because it's not only sharing that bacteria, the BV bacteria, but also not sharing any good bacteria. Because Mm -hmm. if you have lots of good bacteria, that also gets shared, right? That also gets shared in- in A gift that keeps on giving. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) Yes. So there's that that perspective as well. So yes, you absolutely can share it. BV is not considered an STI, but it is considered sexually related is what Mm -hmm. we call that. Because- Again, we're sharing fluids, we're sharing bacteria. So the good stuff gets shared, the bad stuff gets shared. And going back to play situations with other women that might have bacterial vaginosis, it's hard pressed to find a woman that doesn't know her own smell Mm. and doesn't recognize that something may be quote unquote off. And what I have found is more often than not, they kind of avoid oral sex in that situation, like for their own shame and their own discomfort in that. So have I ever told anybody my concerns? No, because most people know I do gynecology. So they're asking me. (laughs) No, that's not completely true. But would I mention it to somebody outright? No, I, I personally wouldn't because I wouldn't want them to feel embarrassed at all in that situation. And again, it's normal. Our pHs shift. This is nothing that the infection they've caught per se. It's just an overgrowth, right? Yeah. So I don't want to bring more shame around it by saying, hey, you know, you have an offensive odor. <laughs> no, yeah. you know, things things smell a little different down there. You might want to think about getting treatment. There is over-the-counter um, BB testers now. pH strips, yeah. pH strips. So, you know, for someone like 
yourself that gets really concerned and, and maybe be a little faster to jump onto treatment, maybe try a pH stick. Same thing with the UTIs. You know, there's urine dipsticks out there that you can test yourself. So we've come a long way as far as self-diagnosis. But again, it's the importance of finding a provider that you can say to them, I have multiple partners and these are the issues that I come home with or whatever. And I know that's a hard provider to find, but until we break that seal and say something to them, we're assuming they're going to judge us. So on our side of it, we're waiting for you to tell us those things. And, you know, sometimes ethical, you know, swingers themselves won't come out and say, Hey, I'm a swinger. You have to start digging. And so when I've had patients that come in with chronic BV or any of these types of things, and they start using keywords that I can pick up on, yep. you know, oh, you hot wife. And then I get the look of, wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> you know that, you know? And then it's like, oh, and then they start giving me all kinds of information that's helpful that I need in order to treat them. So, you know, don't make the assumption that your provider is going to judge you either. We're here to help you, not to judge you. Uh, I know, Wendy. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> no, but it's also on the providers. And this goes for any, I mean, even painful sex and postmenopause, like providers don't ask. Providers need to ask, but also need to phrase it in a way that comes across as I'm here to help you. I'm a safe person to disclose this information because the more information I have from you, the better I can take care of you, the better I can give you tips and tools. Again, it's one of my life's missions to remove taboo around talking about women's health subjects. So I, I think it probably comes a little more natural for me to be you know, do you have multiple partners or yes, I see that you're married, but do you have multiple partners? And that gets received in all sorts of different ways as well. But, but, you know, also making sure us as providers keep ourselves in check, keep our judgment in check, Mm -hmm. whether you're in the community or not in the community, you are there to take care of a patient the best way that you can. So making sure as a provider, you are doing what you need to do to make it a safe space for somebody to disclose all of the information that you need to best treat them. I agree. And I think it's also just even on the lifestyle too, you know, we should, as, as with uh, disclosing your status anyway, uh, I think we should be a little bit more open to having, first of all, having the conversation and then accepting the information that, that we're given as well. Becky, you already responded to my hot seat question. I had a hot seat question. I was going to dun dun dun, you know, should should we tell her, should we not tell her? Why aren't we telling her? As a follow-up instead of, of asking that, because you already sort of responded to that, if I had BV today and we had a date coming up this weekend to go to the swingers club or I thought I was going to play, what should I do in that instance? Should I just not turn up? Should I turn up and just be an active participant but not getting myself mm-hmm. kind of included? You know, I've still got a mouth, I've still got hands and everything, or I can be a wing person for my partner or partners. Mm-hmm. What would you say to somebody who's maybe experiencing BV and is in the lifestyle or maybe has an event coming up or, or whatever that looks like? I would say, how comfortable are you in that situation? You know, is this a brand new play partner for you that that might make an issue or be a source of embarrassment? Or are these, you know, play partners you've had in the past and that conversation of, I call it, <laughs> I'm playable, I'm not go down onable. <laughs> I like that. It's as unmedical as it gets, but that's what I tell my partners, honestly. Like when I'm not feeling 100% fresh, I'm here to play. But, you know, I don't expect anybody to perform oral sex on me today because I I personally don't feel fresh. Now, that being said, going into a play situation, to you know, depending on what day, is it Thursday going into Friday? Well, 
I personally wouldn't treat at that point because you're in the 24-hour window. So if we're using boric acid suppositories or we're doing any of that, then it takes you off the table a bit. If you're using medication, it should take you off the table. And what I mean by that is not playing, taking off the table or off the shelf, meaning you know not playing with a partner that way. But again, time heals all things. So doing those practices that we talked about initially, being on the probiotic, not wearing your underwear at night, you know, getting out of those pants, all of those things can help you to recover from that bacterial vaginosis or your, it gives your body time enough. I mean, I I agree with all of that. I mean, just knowing where you're at and your comfort level, Mm -hmm. I don't think you need to avoid the party or the event or the playtime at all. And again, how comfortable are you with the people that are going to be there? And there's so many ways that you can be involved without having to use your own vagina, yeah, penetrative sex. So learning to be comfortable in in your boundaries and what you want to share and don't want to share. And that all varies based on the event and who's there. So, and onto the follow-up to that, Kate, is, you know, participating while you have bacterial vaginosis going to make then your bacterial vaginosis, quote unquote, worse. Well, you know, you're sharing (laughs) your biome again. And depending if you're using lube and condoms and all of those things, it definitely can continue to change your pH. And, you know, does it make it worse? Well, it just makes it maybe more treatable at that point after play. Right. Well, thank you for sharing that. No, I think that's really great advice for people that maybe again, have BV or uh, have had BV and have a bit of shame involved there. And, you know, maybe feeling like it's completely ick and it does like, uh, we all know this, anything that's going on down there, that's not, you know, quote unquote, the normal, we immediately feel horrible about ourselves. Like I, Mm -hmm. I remember the first time I got thrush as a, um, a teenager, I was just beside myself like, oh, what is happening? You know what I mean? And normalizing and having these conversations and then having that flexibility to say to your play partners very transparently, this is what's going on with me and here's where my boundaries are today. They might change next time, but as of today, here's where my boundaries are. I'm going to participate in or I'm comfortable doing X, Y, Z. And these are just conversations we should be having like any other health conversation, especially within the swingers lifestyle, because we do have multiple play partners, you know, so hopefully that people are hearing this from the both of you, medical experts and Becky, obviously also in the, in the lifestyle, you know, feels a little bit more comfortable to have these kinds of conversations. And I would also hazard to say that if you do share that information and the person doesn't receive it, well, how do I say fuck them? Yeah, that'll do, (laughs) but don't. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Let me see how to say that. Oh, it doesn't. Yeah. 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 (laughs) So that has been a topic about BV. And again, you are not alone. We just shared our own personal stories about vaginal health, about v- BV on this episode. So, you know, seek help within your community, but seek help with your medical practitioner as well. As we've said before, you know, really being transparent with them, helping them to help you, I think is is a big part of it here. And stopping the shame, stopping the taboo, stopping the stigma by asking for help rather than just sitting there in your own shame and not getting better, you know, not helping yourself and potentially making it worse. And I will say, if you go to a provider and you do disclose this information and it's not well received and you are judged, I mean, don't hesitate to go find another provider. I mean, honestly, don't don't feel bad for, oh, I don't want to hurt their feelings. No, get the fuck out of there and go find another provider, honestly. Yeah. 
Now, ladies, it's to the the end of the show here. So if people want to reach out to you, if they want help from you, more advice about different things, where can they contact you? But also, what do you have coming up? I work and live here in Arizona. I own a healthcare practice, PerspectiveHealthLLC.com. I'm working right now to create a side practice to take care of patients in the lifestyle specifically or ethical non-monogamy kink community because there is, again, that shame around having these conversations. So I want I want to be that provider for them. Currently, I'm licensed in Arizona, Colorado, Nevada, Minnesota, Kansas, um, New Mexico, and looking ahead towards Oregon and Washington, D.C. So I'm working my way around the states to try to provide some of those services for patients or at least be here to consult. I do telehealth consultations as well. And I do, a, I'm on the Mighty Networks under Becky Shared. So I do take private messages as well. My email, I will give to Kate to post on the, the podcast notes. So that's how you could reach out to me. Yes, I am unfortunately only licensed in Arizona right now. And right now the laws are really tight in the U.S. on how much we are able to do across state lines. So that kind of puts us in a bind a little bit. I know there's a legislation coming out to sort of open those windows for us a little bit, but you know, we do have to be cautious in, in how much medical advice we give with the not established patient and depending on where you are in the world, unfortunately. So I do have access to providers all over the world, actually, that, you know, specialize in mobile vaginal diseases. So I am able to give those sorts of resources as well, maybe reach out to this person or this person that, that you can go see. So yes, we're working hard to be able to expand our access as medical providers to people in the lifestyle specifically because it is a need it is a niche and and you know being able to speak from experience and also professionally personally and professionally i think goes a long way as well so it absolutely does because i think if if women especially you know involve owners especially can feel comfortable and know that becky's gone through the exact same thing that i've Mm -hmm. gone through i'm going to be absolutely more likely to to share my story my journey my fears etc so it's been a big episode today, guys, for Swingers Health Volume 5, Vaginal Health and BV. I hope that you found all the information that we shared today helpful. Please do check the show notes. As we said before, there's going to be a few links in there, as well as the names of the probiotic information and stuff like that is all going to be in the show notes today, just because I can't spell it. So I actually had Wendy send it through the chat for me. Uh, so thank you for that, Wendy. So it's been great. Thank you very much, Wendy. Thank you, Becky, for being part of the show. Thank you. Thanks so much.